Magnesium is integral for 600-plus biochemical processes in the human body, and yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration in memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, today I have Marsha Morris. She's the author of The Campus Cure, a parent's guide to mental health and wellness for college students. And having uh, three teenagers myself and one headed to college this fall, I'm very interested in this. Uh, she's a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. So we're going to talk about uh, OCD and uh, mental health of uh, teens and college-age people. So welcome, Marsha. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me a bit about your background and how you got into this area of study. Well, I, I grew up in Massachusetts, and I had a great educational system there, and I always loved both math and science as well as writing and English, and, but I always wanted to be a, do- a doctor. So I went to... Um, college and was pre-med, but at the same time majored in English and American literature. But um, I never thought I'd be a psychiatrist. I always thought I'd go into internal medicine. Then when I went to medical school and did my third year rotation in psychiatry, I immediately was fascinated by the, the way the human mind can be confused and suffer, but the way medication and therapy and support and family therapy can turn everything around and help people in mental anguish, you know, recover and lead productive lives. So I, I fell in love with my with psychiatry during my rotation, and I said, "This is what I want to do." Okay. How did you get into the specifics of teenagers or you know people going to college and? some of the mental issues they suffer. Like, I want to ask you what issues, but first of all, like, how did you get into this area specifically? When I was in my training up in New York, I did a rotation at Sarah Lawrence College. <laughs> and um, I had a chance to do um, psychiatric treatment in an outpatient clinic of college students. And even in our other outpatient clinics, there were many colleges in the area. So I worked with college students. 
And I realized I loved working with the young adult population because the brain is going through major development during the college years. And you can really change the trajectory of someone's life if you treat their depression or anxiety or ADHD early on. And what I saw back then and what I see mostly now is depression and anxiety, although unfortunately the rates of depression and anxiety have increased greatly in the college population. What factors do you see as contributing to this? Is it you know COVID and all the lockdown junk or uh, is it other things, society in general changing? Like what's causing this? Depression and anxiety have increased since COVID. That's been a factor. But even before that, depression and anxiety were increasing. And also combined depression and anxiety, a group of us at the University of Florida did a study that showed the rates of depression and anxiety going up. Causes I could only theorize, but I, I do hear from students concerns about political de- divisions. We, we're a very divided society now. And also school shootings is an issue that I've heard uh, students mention is something that increasingly stresses them out. Just And I've, had, hey, I've seen students who uh, have experienced shootings. So I'm not saying it's that common, but the rate has increased in schools these drills all the time. And I think the economy in 2008 created some, in, the recession of 2008, created economics instability in Florida where I live. And so a lot of people um, couldn't get, a lot of students could get jobs, their parents lost homes. And I still feel the economy is kind of on a roller coaster right now. And it, and we have inflation, so students worry about being able to afford to live after college. So they feel economic stress, so which, you know, to, social division in our society, and then the pandemic. I would say those are the three major causes, but that's my opinion. Well, that's fine. Um, I don't know if you've spoken to a lot of parents or students themselves that are going to college, but what are the primary issues that they have? And and now I'm sure that's what you covered in the book, but again, what are the most uh, significant or prevalent issues that they're having? Well, in, in the book, I mentioned perfectionism actually is a big problem. So like perfectionism, loneliness is a big problem. Um, I mentioned the cultural challenges earlier. So I'd say uh, th- those are some of the, the major issues going on. Right. And without giving it away, what, what kind of um, help does your book provide? What I do in the book is I talk about both the pressures like loneliness and perfectionism. I talk about the major, the problems like depression, anxiety. And then I talk about the crises like suicidal thoughts or even psychosis, which is a loss of touch with reality or intimate partner violence. That's unfortunately occurs too often on campuses. So I, I give a case, I give an example of a student that I'd worked with, but of course I change identifying information and then I talk about the role the parent of two-way play in helping students because when someone's experiencing a very difficult problem, parents can play a critical role in supporting the student and also ensuring they get the care they need. And then I talk about ways to treat some of the common problems, let's say like depression and anxiety. And I talk a little bit about different therapies, medication, even with psychosis that can be more challenging to treat, but I talk about treatment and I, 
I emphasize when you treat these problems at a young age, you can help people recover, but it's critical to get the treatment done now and not wait years and years. So I try to emphasize to parents, when your kids go to college, they might be adults, but they're still facing all these struggles that I've won parents to stay involved. I don't want them to run their kids' lives, but I want them to stay in touch and be there when the student is having a difficult problem. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, do students tend to hold this in until it uh, becomes a very deep problem, or do some of them talk about it right away? Like, what have you seen? I know everyone's different, but what do you Sure, see? sure. What I see is students who might be having problems often don't tell their parents for a few reasons. One is they're in college and they feel they should be independent. The second reason is they might feel their parents are facing their own stresses and they don't want to burden them. So I see those as some of the main reasons students don't reach out. And But the problem is sometimes things escalate where someone may get so depressed they might stop attending classes, that they might be ashamed and not want their parents to know that they're really struggling or maybe failing a class or some classes. I hope that parents have the kind of relationship where kids can tell them when they're struggling or having a problem. And that that has to happen really before college when parents develop that relationship of what you could come to be with any problem. And even if a parent doesn't have that relationship, I've seen those relationships, the closeness develop even in college. So it is never too late to have that closeness. Magnesium is integral for 600-plus biochemical processes in the human body, and yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration and memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. What are some of the most uh, like pernicious or difficult problems? Um, I saw somewhere in your bio I mentioned OCD. You also mentioned anxiety, uh, sure. you know, depression, perfectionism. So like these different, these different issues, what have you experienced around all of them? How are they different? Which ones are more difficult? OCD is a challenge. It affects about uh, 1.5% of the general population, but there's been a sign to show there's been an uptick since COVID because we're all worried about germs and getting a disease and spreading a disease. So it makes sense it would go up. But the thing that's hard about OCD that's obsessive compulsive disorder where people have intrusive thoughts or feel they have to do repetitive behaviors to prevent something terrible from happening, like tapping a certain number of times or checking the stove like multiple times before you leave the house. 
Uh, but it, it can become excessive where you're washing your hands so much for, because of fear of germs that the skin peels away. So the reason that people feel embarrassed about these things, because they don't always make total sense. And they, they say, when am I having these strange thoughts that keep going into my head? But that's the nature of OCD, just thoughts that aren't, don't even fit your personality that repeat. And it's some people have that kind of brain and works that way, and it, but they're not going crazy. Many of my patients with OCD say, I feel like I'm going crazy. I said, no, I've worked with many patients with OCD and there's really good therapy for it. There's something called exposure and response prevention where a therapist works and helps a student kind of deal with it and might even touch something with germs and resist washing for a while, but learn to, you know, except not it's going to be clean every minute and you can live you know get tamped down the anxiety but so therapy can be extremely effective and meditation can be effective and you know sometimes you start with one or the other or you do both the therapy and medication but it's highly treatable so that's the one people are sometimes embarrassed about and the thing People with anxiety will often seek treatment because the symptoms are so prominent. They might have a racing heart and they might have panic attacks where their heart races so much that they feel like they're, they're, they're worried, am I having a heart attack? So they'll often seek medical care first and then they get referred to the therapist. But depression is kind of pernicious in the sense that it robs you of motivation. So you might have trouble if you're experiencing depression you might have trouble picking up the phone and scheduling a therapy or psychiatry appointment. And that's where I want to plant the seed in everyone's head. If you're experiencing any mental health problem, let a friend or family member know. So when you don't have the motivation or energy to call, your your loved one can encourage you to do so. And yeah, so um, those, I hope that gives you a good background about kind of yeah. the kinds of things I see. Well, what are some of the, uh, warn- you know, if you have a teen or, you know, again, someone in college and you suspect something's wrong, uh, what warning signs could or should make a parent suspect, like, you know, they need to talk to their teen and see if they can get them to, to answer them or open up? Warning signs are so, first of all, I would recommend parents have some kind of schedule where they have regular contact. And most, most parents do, but some, I see some people who go weeks without speaking to parents, which isn't a great thing. And even if parents can do like a video chat, but also speak at least once a week, but maybe more if they're going, you know, go through a tough time, but at least kind of see them by FaceTime or speak to them so you can hear their voice. But the way you could tell something is wrong is if they do not want to speak with you because they might, you might detect the sadness in their voice or if hopefully they'll share end of semester grades and you'll, if there's a big decline, it could be due to depression or anxiety. But I had one way to know is to like fresh, freshman year, do that parent, most places have a parents weekend. And I recommend like freshman year, try to visit them, even if there's no parents weekend, just to lay eyes on them and see that they're okay. And if they're, you know, having poor hygiene, not what, you know, eating, well, poor hygiene, they not, you know, showering, or if they're just, oops, they're not eating, then if they look like they've lost a lot of weight, then you should be concerned. And even while you're there, see if they'll walk over with you to the counseling center or promise you you'll make an appointment, they'll, they'll make an appointment. 
But if you can, like, at least at some point, like, lay eyes on them or whether hope for Thanksgiving, just kind of try to be objective and see, do, do they look unhappy? Do, is there something different about their appearance that you're concerned about? And we see a lot of people, women with eating disorders, so if they lost a lot of weight, parents should ask about that. What about uh, when, you know, a child first goes to college versus them being there for a year or more? Is there a big difference in need? And in problems, like, do these tend to happen and cluster when students first get to a college or do they happen later on or is there no rhyme or reason? Well, I think freshman year is probably the the toughest time as they're adjusting to being on their own and also trying to figure out what their major is. I think the two top times are freshman year as they're adjusting and also senior year. And one little, I don't know if it's an a trend from if other people see this trend, but I've seen some students kind of not be able to pass the last few classes of last semester. I think sometimes they panic about what's coming or they're they just feel overwhelmed facing the future. So, you know, parents, that might be a critical time to maybe increase contact at, you know, both senior year, the senior year is wrapping up and freshman year. And and some people, senior year might be the fifth year. You know, some people, only 40% of people graduate in four years. So, but those are, those could be tricky years. But again, keeping the lines of communication open and, you know, but again, let's say the student doesn't finish the last two classes, so graduation is delayed. I guess one thing I'll say is parents try not to be judgmental because young people, their brains are changing. They're going through a lot. There's a lot of stress in our society and just, you know, try and be patient, but get them the help they need so they can cross cross the finish line of school. Um, in so- sophomore year, they're trying to really pin down their major. Junior year, let's say if they're pro- applying to a professional school, they're trying to get all those requirements. And so each year has its special stresses, but I think freshman and, and senior year can be the toughest. Yeah, and my oldest daughter is going to be going to college this fall, and, um, you know, she was real nervous about the testing and the applying and all this other stuff. And oh, I, yeah. I told her, I said, one thing at a time, let's do this first, now this next thing, now this next thing, and that's that's helped her get along, but there's been a lot of, obviously, anxiety along the way and, and fear and all that, but that's what I'm doing is just trying to spend a lot of time and just talk to her a lot and like, step her through it bit by bit. Oh, I think that's great advice, and and it's good. It doesn't stop. You're not putting pressure on her. You're being supportive, and um, there's so much pressure out there on kids. It ties in with that perfectionism where society puts pressure on kids to do well at everything. And when I was in school, I only took a few AP classes, advanced placement classes at all of high school, and I, my kids are in their late 20s, but I saw some pressure to take more advanced placement classes and do, take hard classes in every subject. And it should you know, be able to select and not feel they have to be the best at everything. But there is a lot of pressure to do that. And even getting into, let's say, medical school, there are more requirements now than when I went to medical school of volunteering and shadowing and and doing research. So it's it's harder. So one thing, one bit of advice I'd give for students feeling pressure is you can do a gap year after senior year and fulfill those requirements and get a job and do the shadowing and meet or and slow the pace down a little bit. 
a little bit. And some people do a gap year even between high school and college. And there are a variety of gap year programs that where you're doing, you might be traveling and learning and volunteering or working, but you know, some, not everyone's quite ready to start college and that's okay. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I know some people are in a rush to go to college. Some people are so uncertain that they need a gap year or they just don't know uh, if they even want to go to college. That makes sense. Yes. And I'm sure there's a lot of pressure in some families and then in other families, there's no guidance or direction at all. So it's very difficult to find this happy medium, you know? Right. And even in my family, my, my husband's a physician as well. So we try not to put pressure on our kids, but I'm sure they felt pressure just having, having MTs as parents. So, but you know, each kid is so different. That's one thing I learned as a parent. You think you're raising them the same, yeah. they turn out differently. They have different strands on um, different likes. And it it's just really knowing your child and encouraging them to be the best they can be, but uh, uh, things they like. You, you, you should never, like I've seen situations, the calls where parents are trying to push kids into a mold that just doesn't fit them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I have three kids and they're all very different, even though the same parents, same household. So, right. Yeah, it's, weird. It's, it's fascinating being a parent, isn't it? <laughs> it's wonderful to know. It yeah. is. Yeah. Well, you got the toughest customers in the world, though. The most <laughs> unforgiving, exacting ones, but, uh, but it's good. Yeah. Okay. So, from the book, what kind of feedback have you gotten from people? Like, has it helped them or is there still more that needs to be done? Is there like a, a workbook or a one-on-one counseling type situation that needs to accompany it? Like what feedback have you gotten from the book? Well, I, I got a feedback from parents and actually I heard from a doctor they wanted to use it in the residency training because it does talk about typical problems in college students and how to help. Because college mental health is really a specialty, but one thing I do to kind of continue the education process is I write a blog for Psychology Today. It's for parents. It's called College Wellness. So parents continue to want more education. One companion book I thought about writing is something actually for the students, not the parents. But I don't know if students like to read books as much anymore. But I think when you're doing like a podcast, I thought about doing something like that, or some people have suggested that, but, um, you know, there, there are time constraints and all that, but I'm just so glad you invited me because I, I try to go on podcasts to give updated information because there are new trends in mental health. And I actually, um, part of what I do in my own interest is research and kind of the rates of mental health problems and treatment. So I'm just trying to get out there and make it a difference. And and I, I've given talks to parents, but yeah, and like like I said, you're doing the podcast, which is wonderful, and I hope parents benefit from it. Well, what are some resources that parents or that may be helpful to them? One wonderful resource is the it's I'll give you the website. It's called NAMI N A M I dot org, and it's the National Alliance on Mental. Well, it's, it's NAMI, NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org. And they are tremendously helpful to families. They run support groups, both online and, and in person. For parents of, of kids who are struggling like with ongoing, maybe even more severe mental health problems. And they also have a lot of educational resources. 
They do workshops. And um, so I think they're a wonderful organization. And the other organization, and I'm going to look up their website right now, the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, and it's dbsalliance.org. But there are support groups specifically for for both patients and family members of people who have bipolar and de- disorder and depression. So I think there are wonderful resources and online groups. And I, one bit of advice I'd give is parents might not want to talk about mental health problems. It's different than talking about, you know, someone breaking their leg, but it, you can go to these groups and share and get support and guidance because, you know, with with college shoots, they're adults legally, but they're, they're not, their brains aren't full adult yet. The The brain finishes developing at around 25, but so, you know, you might be struggling with trying to get a child health and the child doesn't want to get help. So how do you deal with that? What can you do? You know, what's doable, what's not doable? It's really important to talk to people and get support and advice. Okay. Well, excellent. Those are great resources. So um, let's restate the title of your book and tell people where they can get it. And then also how else can they uh, learn from you and, uh, you know, maybe get in contact with you, Mitch? Sure. Um, the book is called The Campus Cure, A Parent's Guide to Mental Health and Wellness for College Students. And it's available on Amazon. Yes, it's both the print, you know, the hardcover uh, paperback and um, the e-edition. And also I have a, a website, Marsha morrismd.com and you people can get in touch with me through my website and marcia is m-a-r-c-i-a marcia morris m-o-r-r-i-s m-d is a medical doctor.com and i also write you can get in touch with me through my blog on psychology today and again it's if you google college wellness on psychology today i you know i have Follows about every two to three months about, you know, our mental health issues, college students are experienced and way parents can help them. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Marcia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and also for, you know, putting out books on subjects like this because it just seems, uh, I don't know, like anxiety and depression and OCD and perfectionism and all these problems you talked about are dramatically on the rise in uh, young people. So they need the help definitely. And, yeah. and so thank you for getting what you do. Oh, thank you so much. Magnesium is integral for 600-plus biochemical processes in the human body, and yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration and memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is, there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. If you like this podcast, 
please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.